Half Forgotten History is presented by State Farm. Getting great car or home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate? Well, that's just like talking the biggest names in NFL history and hearing their untold stories. It's the real deal. So choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know, here on the East Coast and really across the country, McDonald's isn't just a global restaurant. It's a local one as well. Just like how the guests on this show aren't just major Hall of Fame athletes, they're stars and celebrities, but people that work inside each of their communities. McDonald's are owned and operated by people who live in those communities. And when you eat at McDonald's, you're actually supporting American businesses, maybe even your neighbor's business. The McDonald's franchises also care about the communities that they live and work in. They give back by helping first responders and, of course, supporting local Ronald McDonald charity chapters. When you own a McDonald's, you are committed to serving the community where you do business. McDonald's, serving here. I probably order what I always order, chicken tenders and fries or something. You know, I don't know. I kept it generic. I won't try to run up the bill, you know, even though I had it. He could afford it. He could afford it, Michael. Hey, everybody. Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another edition of Half Forgotten History. By now, hopefully you know how the show works. We sit down with one of the great names in the history of the NFL, pour ourselves a nice glass of Maker's Mark, and talk about some of the moments that you think you know about his past and maybe you need to learn a little bit more about. And there may be no more intriguing character in the NFL's last 25 years than our next guest. He was the first overall pick in the 2001 NFL Draft, a four-time Pro Bowler, the 2010 Comeback Player of the Year, and he had some stuff to come back from, and that is indeed none other than number seven, quarterback Michael Vick. Mike, we appreciate your time today, so let me ask you this off the top. The Michael Vick experience was one of the greatest marketing ploys of all time. What What did the Michael Vick experience mean to you when you started and when you hear that phrase now, what does it mean to you? Wow. And that's amazing because I mean, to me, that's history. And, you know, at, at that time in my life, I was experiencing some different things in, in, on the football field and off the field. And I think more so the opportunities to, you know, really engage with Nike and build something, build a brand, uh, you know, they could foresee in the future what needed to happen for me at the time you know, through the Michael Vick experience and, and that commercial and everything that came out of it, I was, you know, I wanted something different. I wanted something more, uh, you know, relatable to the culture, you know, but, you know, that was then, this is now. And as I think about it now, it's like, it was probably the greatest campaign that I've ever been a part of. And some really smart people was involved in terms of, you know, Nike and production and, you know, it's what everybody remembers. So to me, it was something that I didn't want. But years later, it's, it's something that I, I really appreciate. And I'm glad I had a chance to experience that in my life at the time. Well, it certainly stuck with a lot of people. So let's start at the beginning. And we should point out now, your post-career, you're, you're doing great work for Fox and FS1 as an analyst uh, for Thank the you. football side there. Um, so let's start the night before the draft. Night before the draft, you get traded. San Diego has the number one overall pick. Atlanta moves up and takes that selection. Did you have any idea that was coming or was that a total surprise? I did not see that coming at all. I mean, for like three months, I was thinking San Diego, San Diego, looking at apartments, houses, you know, places to stay. And and my mindset was on, you know, instantly building the the culture in San Diego. I, I had a lot of respect for Doug Flutie. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to continue to try to, you know, get better and help the franchise grow. And, uh, 
night before the draft, I get a call from my agent saying Atlanta might be interested in the trade now. Instantly, I'm thinking, okay, that'll help because going to Atlanta would be a lot cheaper than my family flying all the way to San Diego. You know, I can only imagine <laughs> what those flight prices would be like. So instantly, I'm thinking monetary and how to save. That was good at a young age. Um, but, uh, you know, just to having, just having the chance to play for Dan Reeves and a quick story on Dan, it was like, you know, as I grew up as a kid, I used to watch all the head coaches around the National Football League and just demeanor and the coaching style. And I was really into it. And I was like, I never want to play for Dan Reeves because he's always chewing John their way out, always giving John a hard time. And if there's one coach in the league I, I, I don't want to play for, I look, I play for George Seaford, I play for anybody. I don't want to go play for him. <laughs> and, uh, instantly, I was like, and, and I'm like, I'm like 10 years old thinking, thinking like this, 10, 11 years old. Like, I want a coach that's going to be nice and not, you know, whatever, you know, wistful thinking. And then he, he ended up drafting me. I'm like, who, I knew who the head coach was. And, but I knew Dan had a change of heart. He was different. You know, that 98 season was amazing where, you know, he went through some things personally and, and uh, health-wise and, and had made him see life different. So for that reason alone, I was excited. I was like, look, man, you know, I get to play for Dan Reeves and, and, and make, you know, make amends on that, you know, because I had a preconceived notion of him, you know, as, as a kid. But, you know, I know he's a great man. And once I spoke to him, I was all in on it. It was just a shock, though. It was a shock to myself and my family. But, but we made it, it. It made good. It made good. Th that's fascinating because karma has a way of sort of turning things the way you least expected. That certainly seems like for you as a 10-year-old thinking, I don't want to play for that guy. And you end up yeah, there. But yeah. That trade actually is one of the great win-wins. They were yeah. one of the great win-wins of all time because, you know, you go there and San Diego picks up a little running back, LaDainian Tomlinson, yeah. which worked out pretty well for and, them. And him. they got Drew. It helped them get drunk. Yep. So whoever was a part of that deal, they 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 thought it through. Like it, it was a win-win either way they went. So you exploded onto the scene in the NFL. I mean, you know, obviously it was a couple of games in, but once you found your groove, were you surprised in any way, shape, or form with how well you were able to play at a very early age? Yeah, very surprised. You know, I was so infatuated with with the National Football League growing up that, you know, it was just this big, you know, exciting world of football that I, I, I wanted to be a part of, uh, regardless of what, in, in my life. And and I would do anything to get there, you know, in terms of hard work and, and preparation. And once I got there, it was like, you know, the first year was tough. Um, but the second year, as, you know, we made a run, we ripped off like eight games straight. It started out, you know, a, a tough season. I think it was one and three. And then my backup went in and, and went crazy one game. And, and then I, I man, man, Coach Reed, we, we had a, me and Dan Reeves had a, a, a run in on the sideline, all for the better, you know. Um, yeah. Happens you know, the all the time. That, yeah, the thing, yeah. And it was just one of those moments where, where, like, we clashed for a second. And I was like, Coach, believe in me. Know that I can execute. Know that I have a great understanding of your offense now. Let it go. That was our conversation. You know, it wasn't like that, you know. The jogging was a little different, you know, but I was like, coach, I was like, coach, man, yeah. now is the time. I'm ready. And, and, yeah. and he flipped the switch just like that and ripped off eight straight. And I had to constantly pinch myself and remind myself of what I was doing on that level. Like, this is the NFL and, and you've arrived and you've made it, you know, and just keep pushing. But it was like every first down I, 
you know, I completed every pass that, that, that I completed, every run that I made. You know, I always reminded myself that I was doing it in the NFL because it's the elite of the elite. And I was appreciative of that. Everyone, I think, looks and has a favorite moment or a favorite Michael Vick moment on the field. And for the first half of your career, I think a lot of people would choose the overtime run against the Minnesota Vikings that won the game. That, that's the one that sort of took people's breath away. Is there a play earlier in your career that you thought, man, that was me at my best? Yeah, it was a play against the Carolina Panthers in that game I just told you about um, where, you know, it, 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 the game was a struggle for – it was back and forth for the first two quarters, and then we just let loose. And, and I made a run, a long run, you know, maneuvered in the pocket, broke out to the right side, and, uh, you know, I, I just beat everybody to the end zone. And it was about a 51-yard run, and, and it reminded me right then and there of what I used to do in college. And, you know, I, I would never say football was easy, but college came, you know, we, I was very skilled, and, and, and it sort of came easy, even though it was hard. You know, I sure. take nothing away from the game of football. Um, but it, it was that play alone where I realized, damn, I, I really got it. You know, I, I, I can do this. I can do this on this on this level. And it gave me so much confidence. And, and, and I continued to score rushing touchdowns. And I continued to just believe in, you know, what had made me successful over the years, you know, in college and then into the pros. And I'm like, OK, this formula can work. I can be a dual threat. And, uh, you know, if I take care of myself, you know, that's probably the most important thing. But, you know, right then and there, I knew, you know, I didn't know I would revolutionize the position or change the game or whatever people call it or whatever it is. You know, it is what it is. But that's what was transforming. And it was because I believed in just what my my God-given abilities were. How difficult was that for you to believe in that as a kid coming from Newport News? You know, it's it's Newport News, Virginia. It's rough rough time there. And, you know, it's a different dynamic when you get into the, the big business world of the NFL and yeah. you're having dinner with Arthur Blank, who is a billionaire. <laughs> and I heard a story once about the first time you went to a steak restaurant with Arthur Blank. And it was like you, you had never sort of been down that road and sort of had yeah. an experience like that before. Yeah, it was, it was a different experience in life and something that I just wasn't ready for. I'm pretty sure if I you know, had a steady father figure in my life, you know, who could guide me in every step from Pop Warner to high school to college into the NFL, then I, I, would, I would have been ready for those type of moments. I would have been able to conversate about those type of meetings and, you know, Dad, how do I handle this? And, you know, my high school coach wasn't always, you know, in that position. You know, he did as much as he could. So, you know, from th that point alone, I was kind of like, you know, I was in uncharted waters. So I didn't know how to handle myself, how to correct myself. You know, I had to, you know, just be a leader in a room with another leader. And to Arthur's credit, never put any type of pressure on me to be any anybody else he was like be yourself always be yourself you're going to grow in life you know we don't our conversations will be different 20 years from now than they are now and I, and I didn't understand that but I but I but I did you know at the time and and we used to always had these annual meetings and they got better and better and better and you know our first meeting I I, I probably ordered what I always ordered chicken tenders and fries or something you know I don't know I kept it generic <laughs> I, I don't try to run up the bill you know, even though I had it. <laughs> he but could I, afford I, it. I, he could yeah, afford it, Michael. You know, I mean, in my mind, you know, you know, me, I'm a man of character. I'm, I'm like, he might want to go Dutch on me. Coach, I'm like, <laughs> Mr. B, you want to split the bill? 
Maybe you can spit it. I got it, you know. Um, but but yeah, man, great memories, man, and uh awesome stories. Like now it just means so much to me. You not only were you sort of a video game player on the field, you were also arguably one of the greatest Madden players. Like 2004 Michael Vick in Madden, a lot of people still say is the greatest video game player the game has ever produced. Yeah, yeah. Do you what what sort of pride do you take in that sort of part of your legacy? Yeah, a, another situation where you know you you appreciate it years from now, and and the reason, or not years from then, I'm sorry. And the reason I say that is because I'm constantly reminded of just random people who like I made so much money off you and Madden. Like you was the sickest Madden character ever to be created. <laughs> And I'm like, well, you know, at least I was able to do something for you indirectly, you know. But I mean, it's just another part of the the mystique, the 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 history, you know, of of the the ultimate dual threat, you know, that was created at the time. And I, I give a lot of people credit for being a part of that, you know. A lot of coaches who didn't go away from that that playing style, and even Greg Knapp, my offensive coordinator in Atlanta in 2006, went out and, and scouted and found a way to make, you know, what I was doing, what I was capable of doing even more effective. So he went out and then we came back with the zone read and that's the year I ran for a thousand yards. So he can take credit for originating that. And, and uh, you know, I was just say, we was just able to perfect it on the field and be efficient doing it. We didn't win, you know, the games that we wanted to win. We only finished seven and nine that season, but, you know, I had a great year and I made the Pro Bowl and he deserved a lot of credit for that. So that was how you came onto the scene. Why don't we take a quick break right here and when we come back, we'll yeah. talk about the second half of your career and how things got even better uh, with with another team in a different situation. We'll come right back with Absolutely. Michael Vick after this. That's it. Here at Half Forgotten History, our surprisingly great conversations are brought to you by State Farm. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like our Hall of Fame guests choosing the perfect never-before-told story to share with our listeners. Look, you need a team that supports you and gets you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Your career is basically two parts in the NFL. Yeah. Obviously, with your days with the Falcons, then everything went down with the dogs, and you move on from there. And, and people need to know, like, you didn't just go to jail. You went to prison, like federal prison. Yeah, yeah. How did that impact you when you realized the thing that you loved so much was taken away in weight of the dogfighting situation? And what was that time like? Yeah, that, that's when you realize, you know, you, you've made a mistake and, and, you know, the passion that you have for – you know, um, you know, that sport or that particular um, event is, is like, it is gone and you got to find a way to get it back, you know, um, and I had plenty of time to, to, to figure it out. You know, I think what was therapeutic for me was watching the game from inside. Um, <clears throat> and since I was a kid, like Sunday, Saturday, Monday nights, Thursday nights, like it was a big part of my life, you know, from, you know, September to February. And, you know, it was like, if I didn't have that to see it and know that it was, it was still out there for me. And thanks to Roger and, and, and the opportunities that I got from, you know, Tony Dungy coming in, 
that's that's that 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 helped me keep my sanity. You know, it was, it was very therapeutic to continue to watch the game uh, of football and and create a better understanding of it. You know, spend a lot of time just drawing up defenses and you know playing a game in my head. I had so many great memories in Atlanta and the things that I did do. Um, you know, football was always in my mind, even if I was conversating with somebody. And then, you know, the the fall the fall always helped the that time passed by. And, um, you know, it was it was an amazing learning experience. I will say that uh, I learned so much about myself. Uh, you know, I, I was able to understand people better, especially the people that I was around, and, you know, coming from different backgrounds and different circumstances like you would never believe. And, uh, you know, we was all kind of there for one another and, and it helped me grow. So, you know, when I when I came out, I was like, you know, a, a different person, but still afraid to, to open up and, and be that person that I know Mr. Blank wanted me to be, you know, or be the person that I, I knew I could grow into, you know, so I grew in, in that situation and, and um, it was all for the better. And, you know, I still look back you know, 10 years later, I'm still growing at the age of 40. So, you know, you know, we always, you know, it's timeless. Age is timeless and, and we always grow. You're constantly evolving. What I remember about that 2007, you might not remember this. There was a quarterback challenge thing was shot in the Cayman Islands. I remember that. You were there. Yeah, I was there. We're hosting that thing. And I'm thinking to myself, because that's when all the stuff was going down for the first time. And I'm like, I don't know if this thing's ever going to make air, you know, because of everything that was happening. So it said you you, you grew from that. And I want to dwell on it, but I just, I think people understand that you were different. I like to talk you, about you're it. a different human being than you were before. And, yeah. and how hard was that sort of come to grips? Because it was a very public thing. And a lot of people really had a hard time accepting you after that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think more than anything, man, it was just the confidence that I had growing and brewing in, in the Philadelphia Eagles building. You know, it was it was like a safe haven for me and um, spent a lot of time just in there, whether I was just spending extra time working out or watching film with Donovan, especially that first year, you know, getting to know my teammates, spending time with them, you know, talking to my coaches more, being more personable. It, it like, it helped me shield off the outside world. I actually grew in, in that building and, and, and grew to a point where, you know, five years later when it was time to leave, I could do it with my head, head held high. Um, you know, still felt like it was a little premature, but knowing that, you know, the, the end was nearing and, and not being naive to that fact. And we're still wanting to grow as a man. You know, it was just my growth in that building was was unbelievable. And it was because of all the leadership that was around me at the time from, you know, from Jeffrey Lurie to Andy to, you know, everybody, my teammates. One of the things that's sort of been a constant for me as I've watched the NFL is that any quarterback that goes to play for Andy Reid has his best results as a pro. Any quarterback. right down the street. Whether it's Alex Smith, whether it's Michael Vick, you know, you, you go down the list. What is it about Andy and the way he coaches that is so quarterback friendly? Uh, he, <laughs> I know Andy was a tight end. Um, I think in his career, I'm sorry. If, Big if, one. If, uh, yeah, yeah, he was a tight end. But if that <laughs> man decided to play quarterback, he would have been a damn good one. Because he understands the passing game. I, I always wanted to see Andy take a snap. Like, I, I, I used to just love to see coaches drop back one time and just read the defense and just see where he go with the ball because he got all the answers in terms of offense. And he he, he loved offense. Like, that's his thing. He's a, you know, it, some coaches, 
you know, you, you know what they are good at. And, and and their legacy reflects on that. And and we barely talk about, you know, the great ones and what they did best. Like there was a lot of great coaches. But when Andy Reid's legacy, when it's all said and done, is when they talk about him, yeah, he one of the greatest offensive minds the game has ever seen. And it's been evident when you have like a 20-year run, and it's only gonna get better. Like he's he's yeah. constantly thinking football. He loved the offensive side of the ball, which makes him great at everything, knowing the defense, because you gotta know what the defense is doing. And he always challenged us with that. And um, you know, Patrick is just getting Andy in his prime, and, and that's why that what they what they're building, they they can they'll be able to do it as long as they want for the next, you know, 10 years at least. Right. I mean, like I, I, I'm, I'm look, I'm a big believer in Patrick Mahomes may go down as the greatest to ever do it. But as soon as I saw that he was going to Andy Reid, I'm like, this is a perfect fit of a quarterback and a, and a coach who's going to get the most out of that quarterback. Yeah. Did you, did you feel that way right away? Yeah. I felt that way right away when I seen him in it, in a college highlight, um, when it, during the draft where he was rolling left and he, you know, that Patrick Mahomes, you know, that release, like he threw like a 50-yard pass on the rope. And it's funny, Andy used to always show me like plays from from Patrick, you know, you know, after once he got him to start working with him, like, you know, check this out. And and I I seen it. I was in, you know, camp with Andy um in in 2017. And I just seen it. I knew what was happening and I knew what was coming. And I seen all the ability and I was like, man. You know, one thing coaches always tell me is like, if I had you when you was young, we might have won a ring together. And I believe that. So it don't surprise me that, you know, he get a talent like Donovan, you know, or myself and, you know, a Super Bowl surfaces. You know, now that Andy's, you know, he's with another organization and, you know, he had a chance to do it his way all over again. And he showed that he could do it. So it was special. Like when I look at Patrick Mahomes, he, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, John Elway was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes. You think about this yeah, stuff. That, that's right. It was John Elway. Yeah. That's John Elway all over again. Times two, though. Um, now, yeah, times two. Um, how much do you think that you paved the way for other people to believe in guys that didn't fit the mold? Like, you know, you you were listen just six feet you know when you were the number one pick and then in 2012 Russell Wilson wasn't and he was a third round pick we saw what you did they saw what Russell did and and now we have Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray how much do you think that maybe you would have been better served playing 10 years later than you did when you did because your style of play now is sort of what is is much more accepted in the NFL I was definitely ahead of my time I will say that um but you know, somebody got to pave the way, just like Cunningham and Moon, uh, Rodney Pete, Andre Ware, Steve McNair, uh, Donovan, uh, you know, the 99 draft, I always referenced that. You know, they paved the way for, for me, and, and I just took it a step further um, in terms of ability. And then I, I just know, you know, in my heart of hearts, you know, three, four years later, you know, 05, 06, 07, you know, coaches were scouting, like, I want that. You know, I want yeah. something like that, and and I can build off that. And and it, it was it allowed coaches to expand their mind and and take it further than what they can take it. And you know, and it, it was just about your personal preference. Um, you know, what fits your personnel and, and what type of scheme you want to run. So it just opened up the doors to kind of 
you know, we can go with a traditional pocket passer, which is just as beautiful to me. I love that part of the game. Or I can go with a dual threat, whatever, you know, makes sense for you. And, you know, I thought, you know, looking at it now, it's what the game needed, you know, and we appreciate it because it's exciting. So I can only take so much credit. I just took it a step further. Well, I'm going to take I give you a chance to take a little more credit here. Let me get Peak it. Michael Vick, Let me Peak get Lamar it. Jackson. Who's winning? Oh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm always confident, you know, in my abilities. But, <laughs> but you know, I will have to say myself, you know, um, man, you know, and I, and I love what Lamar has been able to do. And, you know, it, you know, consistency is what we always going to look for. Uh, so I always challenge him in that area. Um, but yeah, man, like 2002, 2003, 04, you know, those seasons when I was rushing for 800, 900,000, you know, um, passing the football, like it was a thing of beauty. I, now, no. I will say Lamar's a little more polished. I was yeah. a little wiry, you know. Sometimes, yeah. like, when your arm is too strong, it, it gets you in trouble. You you start thinking that you can do anything. That Brett Favre attitude, you know. Um, right, yeah. Aaron Rodgers has it, but with way more control, you know, and, and, and the thought process. You know, obviously, you know, Brent and myself, you gotta have a, you got to have a thought process in order to play it. But it's one thing to have that thought process and still be as accurate with a strong arm. Yeah. Because it, it, we think we can get away with so much, but when you got a guy like Aaron Rodgers who get, <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a totally different story. That that guy is in the league of his own. Who are the quarterbacks you like to watch now? Like right now, peak peak twenty twenty. Who are the quarterbacks that that really that you would stop to watch more than anything else? Russell stopped me in my tracks. Uh, Cam stopped me in my tracks. Still always intrigued. Uh, Lamar. Um, you know, I think I said Patrick, Deshaun Watson. Uh, Tua, I still love watching Drew, Aaron. Uh, Dak has been amazing. Dak is growing consistently. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like the young guys, man. I like Joe Barrow. I like Justin Herbert. I, honestly, it feels, it feels like it's really Teddy deep Bridge. Right now, right? Like, Doesn't it feel it's like so. It's like the quarter. I don't really think I can't really look at a team around the league and, and you know other than the Eagles, you know. And I still like Carson. The thing with Carson is just that it's just been so many you know current events with Carson. Man, it's like who knows what's going through his head from Nick Foles to Jalen Hurst. It's just a lot, you know, yeah. injuries, whatever. But I just like the way these guys compete. I like I still like Matthew Stafford, one of the strongest arms in the league. Amazing. I, I, yeah. I, I know Stafford will end up somewhere else if it don't go right. And, and and he'll find success, man. These guys are just consistent, good quarterback players. What we love is what we what we look for and what we cherish. And um, you know, I'm always be a big fan of it. Yeah, I honestly think right now we're looking at one of the deepest times in NFL history in terms of excellent quarterback play across yeah. the league with so many of the names you just mentioned, so many being so young. I think we all have a vision of who Michael Vick was as a player in our minds. Yeah. I don't think that's debatable. In light of everything that you've experienced and the things that, you know, sent you away for a while, what would you want to tell people who still hesitate about the, who Michael Bick as a person is today? And well, I've just grown so much. Like, you know, you look at life and, you know, like you look at the mistakes you made and like, man, if I could just rewind it, 
you know, I would have just, I would have went, I would have veered off. I would have went in a different direction. Like I always just use the mantra, when you know better, you do better. And and that's how I live my life now. And I, and I know now because I know better, I can do better. And the one thing that in life that, that you can never get around it is, you know, what God has in store for you. And when you ain't living right, you ain't gonna get what he got in store for you. You won't get it. And and I've experienced that like at the height of heights, you know, more than I could explain right now in this call. And and um, you know, so so I've learned, you know, and you know, I dropped the ball plenty of times. I made a lot of mistakes, but it, it's not over, you know. The more I can do, the more people I can influence, um, the more I can continue to, you know, just release myself, you know, the better I'm gonna become, you know, the better man I yeah. I could become. You know, if I could walk in the house of my family, like we appreciate you, we love you, we always want you to, you know. Know that you love, then I'm doing something right, you know. And, and even people in the outside world, but you can't please everybody. I understand that, and I understand people always have, um, you know, their perceptions and and, and you know what they feel, and, and you can't change that. And everybody has a right to that, but let's just all respect where we're trying to go and how we're trying to get there. It is interesting because it started as a marketing slogan, but the Michael Vick experience perhaps takes on a different meaning. It's a real thing now. It's a real thing now, Trey. I'm going to ride the wave. Well, listen, I always enjoyed watching you play, and I I always enjoyed the way you handled that time when you realized you had to handle it. And that's never an easy thing in in public. So, uh, Michael, it's always good to talk to you, man. I appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Uh, We appreciate your time. I enjoy what you're doing at Fox. And uh, I'd love to have you on on again, and and we'll talk it up. We'll chop a little more football because there's nothing I like better. All right? Uh, No, this is amazing. Be good, Trey. Thank you. Cheers, brother. Cheers, my man. Yeah. And that'll do it for this edition of Half Forgotten History. Thanks for being with us. Our thanks to Michael Vick for his time. And for that, we're sending a check to Ronald McDonald House in Michael's name. And thanks to Maker's Mark, who reminds you to pour yourself into everything you do and come up with something that is truly remarkable. In fact, why don't you raise a glass right now, a toast to these athletes who are telling us these incredible stories and sharing us the insights that got them to where they were on the field. And a reminder, Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. All they ask is that you enjoy it the same way. Coming up on the next edition of Half Forgotten History, what's it like to go to four straight Super Bowls and lose every one of them. We'll have that conversation with Hall of Fame quarterback, Jim Kelly. We'll see you next time.